I ask you to turn with me to Romans chapter 13. We'll be reading just the last few verses of the chapter, beginning at verse 11, 11, 12, 13, 14. Uh, as we uh, come to um, this passage, uh, we are delighted uh, at the, the call uh, to, to be men and women and boys and girls who are walking in the light. And may the Lord uh, bless Uh, this time in his word in our lives and in the lives of his church. This is, this is God's word beginning at verse 11. Romans 13, 11. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires." Let us, 13 and 14 again, let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Uh, Those verses right there have gripped many in the church and perhaps most famously, uh, that of uh, St. Augustine himself. He was one of the greatest and most influential of the church fathers when he got older. But as a young man, he was rebellious. He was given to sensuality. He was, in fact, a slave to his sexual uh, passions. And yet his mother, Monica, prayed incessantly for him. She never stopped praying for him. And then in the summer of uh, 386, as Augustine was 32 years old, he writes this, we read in the Confessions. The tumult of my heart took me out into a garden where no one could interfere with the burning struggle within me. I was twisting and turning in my chains. I threw myself down under a fig tree, and the tears flowed. But then he writes, he heard a child's voice chanting over and over again, pick up and read, pick up and read, pick up and read. And he interpreted that as God speaking directly to him to go back into his house Uh, and to find the scroll that he had recently been reading and and open it up and read the first section passage that he saw. And his eyes lit upon these words from Romans 13, not in riots and drunken parties, not in eroticism and indecencies, not in strife and rivalry, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in its lusts. And then listen to what he says. He goes on to say, I neither wished nor needed to read any further. At once, 
It was as if a light of relief from all anxiety flooded into my heart. All shadows of doubt were gone. This great passage then was God's last piece um, that that God used for the conversion of Augustine in his struggle between uh, light and darkness, in his twisting in his chains, finding that sexual sin did not bring freedom. He was miraculously and wonderfully saved through these words. God woke him up uh, from the spiritual death that he was in and that spiritual sleep. What is the sad thing, though, as we read this passage in Paul, uh, Paul is addressing not simply or even primarily unbelievers, but he's addressing those of us who are inside the church. And this is a sobering warning for each of us. It is possible for us, even having heard the glorious teaching of God's grace as it is unfolded in this matchless book, even after hearing of the call to genuine love in chapter 12, it is possible for us to drift off to sleep. It's possible for us to become dull of heart, to become lethargic, to be casual about God's Word. Just drifting off. This passage is all about urgency. There is an urgency. There is almost a staccato feel to it. The time has come. Wake up. Put off those deeds of the darkness and put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Wake up, sleepyheads. We see that in verses 11 and 12. And he says, first of all, that you do know what time it is. You know what time it is. Now, we are accustomed to running our lives in, in, in fairly rigid um, ways by the clock. Uh, we get up at certain times and we, or we hit the snooze button and get another nine minutes. Uh, we rush off to work. Uh, well, actually, we don't do that so much anymore. We rush off to our computer, perhaps somewhere, and get on that Zoom meeting. We we do uh, all the things that we're called to do, uh, and, and and it is rushing through our minds. Don't be late. Don't be late. Don't be late. And, and that is um, a, a way of reckoning time. The, the Greek word there would be chronos. And in fact, this watch of mine is a form of a, chron, a, a chrono, chronograph that marks the sequence of time in in small increments, even down to tiny fractions. Chronos, a word for time that we're pretty uh, pretty accustomed to. But but this word here is different. Kairos, it's, it's a certain time. It's an opportune time. The hour has come. Now's the time. It's not the time of day. It is it is the time, the, the the point of God's providence where he is acting in a particular way in our midst. When the time had fully come, God sent his son born of the uh, and then God sent the spirit of his son. So salvation has started. And now it's almost here in its fullness. 
And there's just one more thing in God's timetable that has to happen, and that is Jesus' return. Jesus will come back, and there will be that new creation, the old one that is broken. It will be made new. And so now we are in that time of waiting for the coming of Jesus. In fact, there is an urgency to it where Paul is saying in these verses written 2,000 years ago, dawn is coming. Dawn is about here. A little boy uh, noticed something strange was going on with their family uh, cuckoo clock. Uh, He would be accustomed sort of in the back of his mind to be hearing the the bells chime there at one o'clock or two o'clock and three o'clock and so forth. And he heard the chimes go off at 11 and 12. But then it went off again, 13 and 14 and 15. And he got up and he ran to his mother and he said, Mommy, Mommy, it's later than it's ever been before. And so it is. Night is nearly over. The old age of darkness is almost done. The Son of Righteousness has risen with healing in His wings, in His coming and in His return, so that we may live. The sun is about to rise that second time. The sun is just below the horizon. It's almost morning. Night is almost over. And so Paul says, you know what time it is. You know that the the daytime is almost upon us. So wake up. Wake up. Now you're sitting there this morning. And I'm sure that all of us are saying something like this. Well, I'm pretty sure I'm already awake. I mean, I got out of bed and, and everything. And here I am. I'm pretty sure, pretty sure I'm awake. Well, that's the tricky part of this, because you may be falling asleep. You may have fallen asleep, but you think you're wide awake. Now, I have, I have a powerful example of that um, in my pre-CPAP days, I think especially in my pre-CPAP days when I would be driving, um, I, would be, I would be weary and my eyelids would begin to droop, and my um, my attentive uh, wife uh, would would say, "Your eyes are closing," and 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 I was so dull that I would respond by saying, "No, I got it. I'm okay." You can be. Asleep, you can be falling asleep and not even be aware of it. This day and age, uh, the wrong seems off so strong. And it seems permanent and it seems sometimes even stronger than the kingdom of God. And we can be drawn into it ourselves. We can be drawn into it slowly but surely. So the first question we need to have in our minds as we proceed through this text is, are you sleeping? It's a good question. It's a strong question. 
It's a sincere question. You may not even know it. But consider the possibility that in some way or other, you are in spiritual slumber. Paul puts this in very vivid terms then in the second to the second point here that put off, therefore, uh, the works of darkness. Uh, salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then, so then, therefore, so what? So then, let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Uh, Paul is saying here that we must walk properly as in the daytime. We must wear what is appropriate for the time. We must put aside the works of darkness and put on the armor of light, the armor of light. Uh, We put on the moral beauty that we have seen displayed uh, in this very book. This moral beauty that protects us from a life of deception, a night, a life of nighttime living. And I want to I want you to turn back with me to um, chapter 12. Look, look with me at verses 9 and following. We just want to look at this again. This, this is the beauty of holiness. This is the wide awake person. This is the person who is alert to the beauty of God and the call that he has given us to honor him with every fiber of our being for the glory of God in the power of the gospel. In the power of the Holy Spirit. This is the wide awake person. Let your love be genuine. Let it be genuine. And it only can be if you are wide awake. Do, do you, let, every phrase from these verses 9 through 21 is are really unfolding what genuine love looks like. Well, not look at all of them, just a couple of them. But, but we, have you grown comfortable with evil? Perhaps not with the evil that you see out in the world, especially now. We're not comfortable with either injustice or with violence. We're not comfortable with that. But we can become comfortable with the evil that is in our own hearts. Perhaps the way we respond to other people. Uh, Perhaps the way we think mostly about ourselves and think little of others. It goes on to, we, we, have, we have at times allowed brotherly affection to fade. We simply don't cultivate or expect to have true brotherly affection for one another. Tolerating one another is enough, we sometimes think. No, there is a delight to which we're called, uh, that we are able to call one another the excellent ones in whom God delights. We seldom think about showing honor in particular to those we disagree with. They don't deserve our honor. They deserve our scorn. And And we, in the process, lose our zeal and our fervency. And that is a great description for simply falling asleep and going through the motions. We've lost our zeal. We've lost our fervency. Just getting up and getting things done seems often to be about enough. And it is easy to get up in the morning and to slip into our old clothes, isn't it? That's the rest of this passage is going to talk about old clothes in three particular areas. One is in our, in our appetites. It's easy for us to give in to our appetites. 
uh, the, what are mentioned here and what Augustine certainly had, had uh, in his own life were wild parties and uncontrolled drunkenness. Probably not true for, for most of us. Probably not. But we do still give in to our appetites, don't we? Especially in a day like this where perhaps we are seen by others less frequently than we often are. And so we're able to give in to appetites in the way we use our time. And what we put into our mouths in eating or drinking. Or even what comes out of our mouths, what we say. We give in to the appetites of the flesh. How about you? Are you sleepwalking? Second thing here is is sexual promiscuity. Sexual promiscuity is is virtually normal today. It is seen as as right and good. People simply living for self-fulfillment. And so we, whether, whether or not we act out on sexual promiscuity, we have thoughts, perhaps, that, that take us in that direction. And yet, sexual love um, um, either reflects the love that Jesus has for the church. It is a, a self-giving, um, devoted uh, love for the body of Christ the bride, in a lifetime, forever, committed relationship. Sexual love either mirrors that in the, in, the, in the beautiful constraints of marriage, or it is a phony substitute. Sexual promiscuity is normal in this day and age. Well, I want to honor, I want to honor uh, the singles among us who are living uh, lives of faithfulness in the midst of a tsunami of sexual immorality, sexual indulgence. Singles, I honor you in your lives of pursuing that long obedience in the same direction. It's not easy today. It hasn't been in any day. But I honor you in that. The third area is that of our speech. It's so easy to get up in the morning and slip into your old clothes and uh, to be a person who quarrels. It's so easy. It's so common. It's so easy to have jealousy taking over our heart where we resent the success of other people. This quarreling, of course, this nighttime living of quarreling has has uh, in, in many respects taken over uh, our society in the pollution that is out there so frequently, but also in our homes and in our churches as well. I've been deeply distressed with some public quarreling that has been taking place and is still taking place in the OPC. Uh, certain, uh, a large number, not just the OPC, PCA as well, but a large number of ministers and elders have formed a, a private a discussion group over the internet. And the purpose originally was to discuss the application of the Westminster Confession of Faith in, in this day and age, which is a fine purpose. But it has grown since then among some. It has grown since then, not just to a disagreement with certain authors about things that they've written 
But now um, uh, those disagreements have morphed into personal and vicious attacks. There is name-calling. There is hateful speech. Uh, one post even, uh, sugge- even claimed that if you buy this certain teaching that was being discussed in this other book, if you accept that, and if you accept it in your church, then, then Ichabod, uh, the glory of God, has departed from you. These are, these are individual ministers declaring church discipline just because they disagree with someone. The, 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 the arrogance is, is breathtaking. Now, I am not suggesting that absolutely everything in those books they are criticizing are perfect. I haven't read all the books, the books myself anyway. But I did have occasion to challenge one of the ministers just in the way that he was speaking And his response to me was, as serious as this is, I can talk any way I want. I must speak this way. Quarreling. Quarreling. And I must ask this question to all of us. But what old clothes are you wearing, even without thinking? We then are called then to put on on Christ. Uh, verse, verse 14, uh, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision uh, for the flesh to gratify its desires. Don't even think about, don't even think about indulging your flesh. The flesh is always there. It's not going away, but do not indulge it. Do not entertain thoughts of giving into your flesh. Giving into those, putting on those old clothes and walking again in that nighttime living. And, and we can so easily give into those fleshly impulses in terms of our appetites. Well, we all need an escape from time to time. Uh, we've earned it. Um, over, overeating today, for example, is, is, is expected. Overdrinking is expected. And, and sometimes even, even um, respectable. Sexual temptation for single or for married to give in to, to give in to fantasies at least what what harm can that bring fantasy about someone who is not yours or not yet yours perhaps engaged but not yet yours we can give in to these thoughts if not actions and quarreling we can give in to this so easily she was wrong he had it coming. And in each case, wake up, people. Wake up to what you are, to what you are indulging in your own hearts. Now, I want to focus on that third one for just a moment. I, I suspect it fits home. It, it reaches uh, where we live uh, perhaps even more significantly than the others do. Uh, perhaps especially in this day and age. And I want to, I want, I want to just show this little book. It's called, it's called Marriage Conflict. Talking as teammates, dealing with the general subject of marriage conflict, but the title Talking as Teammates, and it's divided up into 31 different readings, um, and, and married people, um, I'm probably going to personally recommend this to you at some point, but this is a general invitation to get this book and to read it yourself, to read over it with your spouse, and to 
and to take uh, each of the various teachings and apply them to your life, and you will find yourself, instead of quarreling, you'll find yourself talking as teammates, if you take this seriously, more successfully than you have to this point in your marriage. I believe that's true. Talking as teammates also applies to the way we relate to others in the church family. So, so anyone can profit from this book. But I want to read just a little section. I was reading this uh, uh, away on vacation, and I thought, I, want, I really, really want to share this with you. In this subject of quarreling, it's, it's, it's really cool. Um, it makes the distinction uh, in, in day 20 of this book uh, to, to play catch rather than ping pong. To play catch, ball, glove, instead of, instead of, ping, instead of playing ping pong. This is what he means. Uh, he's describing a scenario that sounds familiar to perhaps many of us, and then, but it, then he's taking it apart. He's looking at it, examining it. He, was, he calls this conversation ping pong, violently swatting the conversation ball back and forth across the net of our living room. We weren't pausing to process each other's words. We weren't attempting to walk in each other's shoes. We certainly weren't reflecting on how we could best love each other in the midst of the conversation. The ball comes over the net. You just, you just, you just work it right back over as quickly and as, and as hard as possible. And if you're really fortunate, you can slam one in and you've won that point. But he says conversation ping pong is a deadly game. It sends the message that your spouse's words are unimportant. But even more than that, that uh, the message is that your spouse isn't important. And as Proverbs 29 verse 20 says, uh, he, the one who is hasty in his words, the one who is the ping pong player in his conversations, has less hope than a fool. But there's an alternative, and that is playing catch. Uh, you, you catch the ball uh, in your conversation. And that is, you catch the ball, you listen, catch the ball, you listen to your spouse's words. You hold the ball a little bit longer. You, you think about what your spouse has said. And then finally, you throw the ball back in, in, a, in a gentle way so that they can catch it. Speaking in a loving manner. You're not playing ping pong. You're playing catch. And these three actions here are listen, think, and speak. Listen, think, and speak. We are called to put on Christ. Not just to try harder, not just to grit our teeth and force ourselves to actually try to be nice to one another, but to put on Christ. The Apostle says elsewhere in Galatians that we, if we are justified, that is, we have, sins have been forgiven, we've been declared righteous because of what Christ has given to us. If we've been justified, if we have been baptized, that is, by the Holy Spirit, cleansed and regenerated and washed and brought into Christ, if we've been justified and baptized, you have clothed yourselves with Christ. You have clothed yourself. Here, Paul is saying, 
It's not just a one-time deal. We are to clothe ourselves regularly, daily, put on a command, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. The daily exercise of faith. We put on a uniform. I am in Christ. He is in me. We put on that uniform every day, remembering, living by faith. And the longer you wear Him, Jesus, right next to your skin, the longer you wear Him right here, the more He wears off on you and the more He actually changes you inside. As you, having put on Christ, you put on Christ daily. Let's try it with dealing with quarreling. You clothe yourself with your gentle Christ in place of a ping-pong conversation, in place of quarreling. You listen, you think, and you speak. You listen, you think, and you speak. You listen. You don't defend your point or seek to make it again only harder. Repeat it more loudly in case they didn't hear. Probably all of us have done that at some point. You listen. Not defending your own point again, but you seek to understand theirs. You listen. And then you think. You don't give in to your anger. You don't give in to your fear. You are quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. What can I say that will be of encouragement and actually give grace to my spouse or my friend in this situation? You listen. You think, and then you speak, without force, but in gentleness, because Jesus has been gentle with you. He is meek and mild and gentle of heart. It is simply, I think, a point that you can... You can uh, based on, on uh, you can derive from Scripture as well as your own experience, that you do not change people by being angry with them. Anger does not bring about the, uh, the righteous life that God requires. And I have never seen anyone changed on the inside as a result of angry speech. But we listen, we think, and we speak. Probably before the end of today, even if you seek to do that faithfully, you will fail in some way. Probably you will. Um, I suspect that I will. Um, and you may get discouraged at that. You may get discouraged that you've tried to live that way, but, but someone just pushes your button. Someone says something that just, just tweaks you. And the greatest danger we have at that point is to think that putting on Christ really doesn't change anything. It really doesn't help. And you can just give up. That's the, that's the biggest danger you can, you can, uh, you can have at this point. What do you do today? What do you do today is you put on Christ again. And you do it with thanksgiving each morning. There's nothing else I'd rather wear than Christ.
So, how will you put on Christ each morning? How will you put on Christ? You take His Word. You take His promises. You look at those areas where you tend to fall asleep, slip back into darkness, and you say, no, work in me the beauty of holiness. Let my love be genuine. Let me honor this other people, this other person more than, than I expect them to honor me. Uh, let me speak with a, with a tongue that glorifies your name. Well, secondly, second application here, my dear friends, is maybe you're listening today and you have never put on Christ for the first time. Maybe you've just tuned into us online and uh, you've never heard this message or you have disregarded this message that you need to put on Jesus Christ. You may have grown up in the church. You may have grown up in this church. But today, the Holy Spirit is working in you. You know, you know that your clothes are dirty and smelly. And you know your clothes are dirty and smelly because your heart is dirty and smelly. And perhaps you've discovered, like Augustine, you've discovered that there is, uh, that your pursuit of a life of freedom really produces bondage. So today, today is the day God is calling you, the Lord Jesus Christ is beckoning you to come to Him, to put Him on, put His clothing on, His righteousness, His forgiveness, His mercy. And it's urgent. Because the night is almost done. And the day is upon us. The sun of righteousness is rising now uh, with healing in its wings. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, we are, we are in a dark place, a dark world. We are in a time of, of great uh, distress, not only in our own country, but across the world. Um, we um, can be overcome by a sense of futility. It's easy for us to be overcome by a sense of futility. But today we are remembering that the night is almost done. It's almost over. You, you, you can see uh, the glimmer of light on the horizon. We don't know when the sun's going to come up fully, but we can see that glimmer, that glimmer of light. And we long for that, Lord Jesus. We long for your return, the Son of Righteousness, to arise fully uh, with healing in its wings. May this be a day of, of, um, of salvation for those hearing this word. Coming to faith in Jesus, perhaps for the first time. Or being awakened as we have considered the movements of our own hearts. 
In either case, we glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. We love you. We love you. We love you because you first loved us. And so we pray that our lives would be, uh, we would live, as Peter says, as lights in a dark world to shine upon the glory of God. The glory of God may be seen by those around us. The church may be strengthened. That you may be glorified. And even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen.